Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. Are my customers being more rational in this setting? Are they being more intuitive in this setting? And then once you've identified kind of the general decision mindset of your customers, you've got a choice to make. You can either meet them where they're at, or you can try to move them to a different mindset. Ryan, I save me talking all the time. What does that mean for you? Sure. As soon as we talk about irrationality, you hand it over to me. I got it, Colin. <laughs> we all understand the signal you're sending. <laughs> He said, oh, did you get a direct flight from uh, Southwest up to Washington? And I went, no, I didn't realize there was one. But because I had bought the flight intuitively from Delta, I didn't bother looking anywhere else. I could have got there a lot quicker. Hi, this is Colin Shaw. One of our listeners come up with a great idea. He explained that he had a problem when listening to the podcast because he tended to listen to it when he was traveling or go to the gym, and therefore he couldn't take notes for his records and share the learnings with other people. So he asked whether we could do a podcast summary. So that's what we've done. It's a simple one-pager of the key takeaways and recommended actions, and we've loaded that onto our website. To download this, simply go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary. We hope it's of use. So Ryan, one of our listeners has made a suggestion. He suggested that maybe we should be coming up with five rules on things. And I thought that was a really good idea. So we can sort of start to chunk it down and, and make the understanding and the steps really clear. And as a rule, something that people should do rather than just a theory and the theory just sits there. Does that make sense? Yeah, I thought it was a, a great idea. A lot of this stuff can be very intimidating. This is our attempt at giving people an easy entry point into the big, messy world of behavioral science. So today we're going to be talking about the five rules of customer decision-making. And this is a sort of a fascinating topic because clearly you want to influence how your customer thinks and you want to influence the decisions that your customers make. We're going to run through these five rules, and we're going to chat about them as we go. So, rule number one. Embrace the fact that customers don't always make rational choices. Ryan, save me talking all the time. What does that mean for you? Sure. As soon as we talk about irrationality, you hand it over to me. I got it, Colin. <laughs> we all understand the signal you're sending. <laughs> this rule is simple, and I don't imagine we're going to get a lot of pushback from regular listeners to this podcast. Most of the people here are here because they have embraced this, but we included it on the list because it's still very important. Let's think about why rational decision-making is still kind of hanging on as a concept. Because a lot of people, even those who, who read up on behavioral economics and are invested in this view of the world, still kind of default back to rational decision-making when projecting, when, when trying to anticipate their customers. 
And the reason is, it's because it's predictable. Like it's simple. It's easy to figure out what the rational decision is and therefore to build an experience around what that rational decision maker should do. The more useful thing, though, is to recognize that sometimes people make decisions rationally, but often they don't. And that requires a harder set of models to work with. You need to get into the the specifics and get into the details to figure out what's going on. So embedded within this rule is embracing the additional work and thought it takes to figure out how customers are making their decisions. Yeah, I think the thing I would add is that you're right. Clearly, the average listener listening to this podcast probably already knows that and understands it. But if I was a gambling man, they're living in a world that doesn't. They're living in an organization that doesn't. And part of our hope for this podcast, the podcast summary and in general, is that this helps you start to make that case within the organization about all this. So a few things that sort of come under this for me. One is embracing the fact that we buy emotionally and we justify with logic. Again, particularly, I still get surprised in B2B when I'm asked the question, which is the most common question I get in B2B, is do customers decide emotionally in a B2B setting, business-to-business setting? And clearly they do. The perceived wisdom is that they don't. I think the other thing I would say here is that if everything is based upon rational decisions, logical decisions, we did a great interview with Rory Sutherland a few weeks ago. And one of the things that Rory talked about is that effectively everything's been thought of. (laughs) Uh, If it's a logical choice, if it's rational data, everyone's looked at it. It's really difficult to compete on that stuff nowadays. And therefore, if you look at the organizations that really get on in this world, some of the CX leaders in the world, Disney's and the Apple's and the Ritz Carlton's, the secret that they have is not just basing it on the the rational experience, but the differentiator is that sort of more emotional stuff. There's only so much room for advantage if everybody's working off the same spreadsheet. You need to be incorporating more. You need to be looking outside. And the danger is, is we're going to just harp on about this one rule for the next four hours. I did want to give an example before we moved on. Please do. I'm 100% stealing your thunder because it's your example, Colin. Oh, okay. One of the the case studies that Beyond Philosophy has done was customer experience work with Merskline, which is a shipping agency. And I, I like this because it is a B2B company. I believe, <laughs> I believe the phrase you've used at one point to talk about the shipping business was roughy tufty, and I don't know what yes. that means exactly, <laughs> but uh, I assume that it means. I mean, this is as hard nosed and practical a line of business as you'll find anywhere. You're shipping stuff. You got a crate of stuff. You want it to go somewhere else. You should only care about rational things. You should care about the time of delivery. Are they going to take care of it? And how much is it going to cost? Like that should be it. And yet. I'll allow you to have some of your thunder back, Colin. And yet that's not what you found, is it? No, absolutely. I mean, the irony is, and the question I always ask on the B2B side is, how do you sell things? And typically they say, well, we have account managers and salespeople. And you go, well, why? 
<laughs> just publish your list of prices. Yeah. I mean, if it's just a logical choice, then what's, what's, why do you do that? And obviously the key word then is relationships. The more progressive B2B companies recognize that relationships are about emotions and therefore it's not just, they're not just buying a product or service because you're the cheapest. And by the way, just to show this stuff works, Maersk Line improved their net promoter score by 40 points over 30 months, and that led to a 10% rise in shipping volume. So we know that this stuff works as well. By focusing on non-rational aspects of the transactions. Yeah, absolutely. By recognizing, and let me be clear, rational things are really, really, really important. We're not saying forget about them because people don't make decisions on them. Of course they do. Yeah. But one of the things that people make choices on as well is the irrational things. And this is where the whole area, when we're talking about customer decision making and these five rules for customer decision making, is that where heuristics and biases come about. Ryan, as we're getting to the clever stuff, I'll let you describe it and then I'll convert it into English after you described it. <laughs> we just established you use English phrases like roughy tufty. I'm, I'm not sure that I'm not sure that you're the, the guy carrying the communication torch here. All right, are we gonna get to rule number two now? No, we're not. No, no. One of the things it shows that the planning in this conversation, it's so good. <laughs> we're so good at planning these things, aren't we? In the conversation we were having about these rules, you mentioned this whole thing about meet and move, which I thought was really good. Oh, good. Okay. Well, we can talk about that now. We lied about the five rules. It's going to be one rule. That's all <laughs> we're going to have time for. <laughs> you guys knew what you were getting into when you downloaded this podcast. All right. So the, the meet and move idea, there's a mistake that people make when they think about less than rational or non-rational decision-making where, as you just said, Colin, they, you treat it as binary. Like, oh, we used to think people are rational. Now we just think people are irrational and that's all we're going to focus on. As you said, it's a mix of both, but you can generally identify, are my customers being more rational in this setting? Are they being more intuitive in this setting? And then once you've identified kind of the general decision mindset of your customers, you've got a choice to make. You can either meet them where they're at or you can try to move them to a different mindset. So if you're dealing with customers who are making decisions very intuitively in your context, then you better have an intuitive message to give them. You better design your experience around that. If your offering is such that you're going to lose on the intuitive front and you have a much more compelling case to make rationally, then it's not enough to just throw rational messages at, at your customers. You first need to take the step of encouraging them to change their mindset. So can you get them to change the way they're thinking about this to either move them from rational to intuitive or intuitive to rational so that it best matches the strengths of your offering? The last bit of advice when thinking about intuitive and rational, figure out where they are and then either meet them where they are in terms of decision mindsets or move them somewhere that's more useful to you. So that was the big idea. And that actually ties into rule two. But just before we get off rule one, I did mention heuristics and biases. Heuristics are effectively rules of thumb that we use to make choices. Decision shortcuts. Yeah. Decision shortcuts to make choices and the same with biases. We're biased towards one way of looking at things or another. So again, the point we're making here is with all the things that we've said under this rule, we're not just making a rational decision, yeah? There are lots of different decision-making styles. 
How are you going to grow your market when everyone is competing on the same things? What are your customers' unmet needs in your market? What drives and destroys most value for you? And what are you going to do first? Since 2005, we've been helping organizations answer these questions. Our unique discovery tool, the Emotional Signature, will change the way that you look at your market. Let's have an informal conversation on how we may be able to help you. To set this up, simply go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash contact. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash contact. And we look forward to talking to you. So building on what you were just saying, Ryan, about sort of intuitive and rational, rule two is strive to make customers buy from you intuitively. Okay. So strive to make customers buy from you intuitively. Now, why do we say that? Well, when you talk about intuitive, the reason we called this podcast, we called our book, The Intuitive Customer, is intuitive is a gut reaction. It's automatic. It's, I don't have to think about it. And clearly what you want to do is you want to make your customers buy from you intuitively. Yeah. You don't want them to think about it. So I fly Delta intuitively. Okay. I don't bother looking elsewhere. I just fly Delta. And sometimes that causes me a problem or a lost opportunity, call it what you want. An example of that is I was flying to Washington from my home in Sarasota in Florida, and I flew from Tampa up to Washington. I had to connect through Atlanta. One of the team flew from Tampa at a different time. When I got up there and we were sitting in a restaurant before we were doing the work with a client, he said, oh, did you get a direct flight from uh, Southwest up to Washington? And I went, no, I didn't realize there was one. But because I had bought the flight intuitively from Delta, I didn't bother looking anywhere else. I could have got there a lot quicker, but I didn't bother looking anywhere else. So, But you really, you want to get customers to buy from you intuitively. You don't want them having to, in quotes, think about something. Okay. You want to make that choice uh, automatic. Anything you want to add to that, Ryan? Just with the understanding that people make decisions both ways, that there are, you may have advantages in either way or the other, this is the best situation to be in. So if you can refine your communications, your persuasion with customers so that it appeals very intuitively, and if you can encourage them to be in a very intuitive mindset when making those choices, then that's the best place for you to be as a business where it's just, it's easy, it's intuitive, it's repetitive, and that'll result in the best long-term sales prospects for you. Rule number three, discover your customer's decision-making strategy. So I think for me, this is, and this goes back to what we were saying in rule one, which are customers make decisions in many ways, but what are the ways? And how do they make them? Academics like to really divide things up very, very minutely and look for for very small distinctions between ideas. The system one, system two, that's an entire stream of literature. There's lots and lots of research done in there. There's another stream of literature, another area of research that looked at the problem of how people make decisions from a different perspective. And that essentially cataloged the different strategies that people use both within and across the two systems in reaching their choices. So let me give you a couple of examples. So one of the decision rules that they identified is called satisficing. 
And this is the idea that when people are looking for an option to choose, they'll kind of evaluate each one that it comes, and then they'll stop when they get to one that they consider to be, quote, good enough. So I'm not looking for the optimal decision here, just I want something that's good enough and I'll move on. In contrast to that, you could have a decision rule that means that you investigate everything very thoroughly and make all these trade-offs and really ratchet it down. Maybe you do open a spreadsheet. These are completely different decision rules. And for somebody who has exactly the same set of preferences, they could make totally different choices depending on which of those rules they use. So how are your customers making their decisions? What is the process they're going through? Is it something that's very involved or is it something that's very, very fast and heuristic and something they just want to kind of get through and get out of? If you don't know what those rules are that your customers are using, then you're not going to be able to design an experience that'll facilitate their making the choice you want. Yeah. And, and let me let me build on that because there's a couple of things that are really important. One is don't think that customers are sitting there going, okay, what's my decision-making strategy for this one then? Okay, all of those things and what Ryan's just articulated are being done automatically without them having to, in quotes, think about it. If you had a survey asking people, so do you satisfy or do you use a lexicographic decision strategy? That's not going to get you very far. No, absolutely not. And therefore, revealing rule five a bit, when you start to get into journey mapping, it's important that you start to think about where these decision-making choices are being made by what groups at what part of the experience. But at the moment, let me be very clear, I think 99.9% of organizations, probably not nine, 99% maybe, don't even think about this stuff, haven't even understood that there is this stuff. And again, this is the new frontier, if you like. This is the, the new things that you've absolutely got to start to do. You've got to realize, so let me give you another example that I particularly like. And this goes into the intuitive and rational decision-making that we've talked about before. Your intuitive system makes a decision. Your rational system can override that choice. And typically, those choices can be overridden when the customer's feeling tired, when there's lots of distractions, maybe there's lots of noise or lots of music or whatever it may be. They make an intuitive decision. And then later on, the, the rational system says, no, that's a bad idea. Practical example is you buy something late at night, you go onto Amazon, you buy a, a new camera, you buy a new GoPro, and in the morning you regret doing that. Because actually what's then happening is your rational system's coming in and going, guys, why did you spend all that money on a GoPro? You could have bought it cheaper somewhere else. How does that manifest itself? Well, guess what? It manifests itself in customer returns. So if you've got a lot of customer returns after customers placing an order, then it could be indicating that you're selling to the customer at the wrong period of time. So rule three, discover your customer's decision-making strategy. Understand effectively that your customers are making different choices at different moments and what are they and what are you going to do about it? Rule four, and rule four fits under the banner of this intuitive, this gut reaction, this sort of automatic piece. And rule four is map your customer's habits. So customers have 
habits. We all have habits. We get up in the morning, we go to clean our teeth. We do not say, I need to grab my toothbrush. I need to hold it in my right hand. I need to put toothpaste on it. I now need to put it in my mouth. You don't do that. You do these things automatically. And the, and the reason that we have habits is to effectively make our lives simpler and more automatic so we don't have to think about things. And because we're then not thinking about things, we're then not taking up resources, we can use our minds for other things. A classic example is, you know, you drive home at night and you you think to yourself, how in the hell did I get home? I don't remember pulling off the freeway. So you've got to map your customers' habits. So what, what are your customers' habits? What are the triggers that cause your customers' habits? And if customers have got a habit in using somebody else's product or service, how do you break them of that? And how do you get them to use yours and start to use yours habitually? Does that make sense, Ryan? Yeah, absolutely. This is just another angle at that trap of assuming rational decision-making on the part of your customers. Even if the customer's decision at one point was purely rational and they really thought about it and tried to make the best optimal decision they could. If it's a repetitive choice, there's a good chance that they've fallen into habit at some point along the line. Now it's a very intuitive, automatic process. And if you go at that potential customer with messages that are very rational and well thought out, and it's possible to get potential customers to agree with you completely on the messaging and then never have it implemented because they're not making these well-thought-out decisions every time. They're just reverting to habit. I remember seeing a toothpaste ad that, for whatever bizarre reason, I found very compelling. It was just, it was a very persuasive ad. It wasn't about axes or anything, or woodwork or anything like that, was it? It wasn't. No, I can find things more than woodworking compelling. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, I care about Chopping down trees and dental hygiene. These are the two areas. <laughs> You've always been such an interesting person. You know that. <laughs> Maybe there's a lumberjack in the commercial. I don't want to get into it. Look, whatever it was, I can't even remember. But the, I, I thought that that seems like a good toothpaste to try. And so I made a mental note. Next time I go to the store when I need toothpaste, I'm going to try that. We'll see. And then a few days later... I was opening the same brand of toothpaste that I had always used because when I went to the store that week, that messaging was completely lost to me. And I it was on habit. It was just this automatic thing. I bought the same brand of toothpaste and I thought, oh, shoot. Well, you know, three months from now when I get another tube of toothpaste or however long toothpaste lasts, uh, then I'm going to do it. And it, this cycle repeated like three or four times before I eventually remembered to buy this new brand of toothpaste that I had intended because there was nothing to shock me out of my habits. By the way, I did buy that new brand of toothpaste. It was a big disappointment. Never believed the commercials. Yeah, it was a shame. But if your potential customers are making habitual choices to the point of this rule, you need to know that. You need to figure out where in that decision-making process are they reverting back to habit And then you just, you need a different strategy for that. You can't just give them persuasive messaging because just like my example, they might agree with you and then still purchase habitually like they always have been. Absolutely. The interesting part for me is, and the reason we called this map your customer's habits, it doesn't mean to say that the customer's habits that they have are beneficial to you. 
but you obviously want to get them to be beneficial to you. If they've got a habit that isn't beneficial to you, then how are you going to interrupt that habit? And what's the trigger? Because again, the trigger can be subconscious. Yep, absolutely. I walk past Starbucks, I smell coffee, and I think to myself, hmm, I'll have a coffee. Or I drive past Starbucks at a particular time of night, I typically go in and get a coffee, and therefore that's what I'm doing. It's interesting, actually, about the podcast. People tend to listen to the podcasts when they're traveling or when they're doing something else. Not, you know, you just don't tend to sit, or sit down in a chair and listen to the podcast. Although you could. Colin and I are very entertaining. Absolutely. You could gather the family around like an old 1940s radio broadcast, just <laughs> stare at the speaker while we talk to you. So map your customers' habits. Okay, rule number five, design your experience, understanding the ways that customers make decisions. So what do we mean by that? Now, we are going to do one of these five rules based on the whole lot of journey mapping and what you should be doing in journey mapping. But effectively, this is what we're talking about. So one of the key things is, for me, when you're taking all of this information, it's great, it's intelligent stuff, it makes sense. But the key issue becomes, what in the hell do I do? Everyone knows the concept of journey mapping. Okay. We do a special form of journey mapping, which is guess what? Behavioral journey mapping. So when we are looking at a customer journey, at the different touch points of the customer journey, we would be saying, how is the customer making this decision? What theory are they using? Is it, are they making it intuitively? Are they doing it rationally? There's a thing called extremeness aversion, which means that when you're sort of confronted with three choices, we tend to make the go for the choice that's in the middle. We never tend to go for the cheapest. We never tend to go for the most expensive. We always go for the one in the middle. So knowing that, if you're a B2B customer and you're offering a customer three different options of something, you need to bear that in mind. Or if you were offering them only one option, then you should be offering them three options. And the option that you want them to take should be potentially the one in the middle. So what is it you can do with the other two options that help with that? So the point I'm trying to make is, and the rule, let me repeat the rule, design your experience understanding the different ways customers make choices. So you map it out to start off with. You work out the decision-making that the customers are making as they go through each of these different steps or journey steps. And then you turn around and say, okay, well, this is the experience that we want the customers to have. Now, how do we change that decision-making? And going back to Ryan's phrase, which I really like, how do you meet or move? So how do you meet the customer's decision-making at that point? Or how is it that you can change the customer's decision-making to get them to make it on another criteria? Because as I said before, these things are not automatic. People don't sit there and go, I'm going to make this decision using extremeness aversion. I mean, I do, but yeah. Of course. Many people don't. Yeah. What I like about this rule is it emphasizes that there's, there's not a single unitary decision that each customer makes, that any customer experience, any customer journey is a series of decisions. And then another one of my little phrases that I like to use is that behavioral science doesn't work in general. It only works in specific. You can't use a lot of the stuff that Colin and I talk about 
unless you know a lot about the specific situation that customers are in. Extremeness aversion that Colin just brought up, that is entirely dependent on the local set of options that they're considering. So you could design a set of offerings to take advantage of extremeness aversion, but then if you sell your offerings through a retail store and they put your offerings on the shelf alongside a bunch of other things, then that completely disrupts whatever extremeness aversion plans you had. You need to know what things are like at the point of each of the decisions that your customers make. So all of the previous four rules need to be applied over and over again in kind of a a journey mapping perspective. Like what are all of the decisions that your customer makes? How many of them are habitual? How many of them are intuitive? How many of them are rational? What is your plan for each of them? So that's the end of the rules. I would like to remind people that we do have the podcast summary, which we do after the show. You simply download a one-page document, which will highlight all of these rules and all the things that we've been talking about condensed into one page, which you can then share with your team. Just simply go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary. Let me just run through the rules again, just so they're clear in everybody's minds as a a summary. So the five rules for customer decision-making are embrace the fact that customers don't always make rational choices, number one. Number two, strive to make customers buy from you intuitively. Number three, discover your customer's decision-making strategy. Number four, map your customer's habits. And number five, design your experience, understanding the different ways customers make decisions. So any last thoughts, Ryan, before we let everybody go? The usual, Colin and I are designing this kind of five rules approach based on feedback we've gotten. We've made other changes to the podcast based on feedback we've gotten. We sincerely want this stuff to be useful. So if there's any topics that you would like us to cover, if there's anything we talked about that's not clear that you want us to do follow-up episodes on, let us know. We try to be responsive and we appreciate getting feedback and ideas from our listeners. And to do that, just drop us a line at contact at beyondphilosophy.com. That's contact at beyondphilosophy.com. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.